The Gospel of St. Mark, chapter 8, verses 27 to 35. Jesus went away with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? They told him, John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and still others say one of the prophets. But who do you say I am? He asked them. Peter answered him, You are the Christ. Then he warned them not to tell anyone about him. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the experts in the law, be killed, and after three days rise again. He was speaking plainly to them. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But after turning around and looking at his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You do not have your mind set on the things of God, but the things of men. He called the crowd and his disciples together and said to them, If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. The Gospel of our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. When our Savior Jesus taught St. Peter and his other disciples that it was necessary for Jesus to be rejected, to suffer and die, St. Peter could not accept that, and he could not handle it, and he told Jesus as much. No, no cross for you, Jesus. You are the eternal, glorious Son of God. You don't suffer that way. In response, Jesus went quite a bit beyond correcting or scolding St. Peter. He called him Satan. And then Jesus said this, If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. There had to be a cross for Jesus. There had to be a cross for the Son of God so that he could take the punishment our sins deserved and bring us back to God as his children. There had to be a cross for Jesus. There was no way around it. We know that not only from what Jesus says here, but remember when Jesus prayed in Gethsemane the night before he died, he said, Father, if there's any other way to get this done, let the cup pass from me. And yet the cup of suffering, the cross, still came. That's the way it had to be. And Jesus teaches that he is not the only one who has to carry a cross. He is not the only one for whom a cross is necessary. The people who follow Jesus must carry crosses too. And they are as inevitable for us as they were for Jesus. Eventually, this got through to St. Peter. Apparently, eventually, Peter understood this and believed it because about 30 years after Jesus first spoke those words, St. Peter wrote this letter to a group of Christians. And in this letter, Peter writes a lot about crosses. By that time in Peter's life, he had already had to carry many of his own. And by this time, it is clear that Peter believes what Jesus teaches. The Son of God is not the only one who carries crosses. The people who walk behind him do too. And Peter writes, Dear friends, 
Do not be surprised by the fiery trial that is happening among you to test you, as if something strange were happening to you. A cross is anything. It can be anything that brings pain or conflict into the life of a Christian. In this letter, Peter writes mostly about a particular kind of cross, which is cross of suffering that the unbelieving world inflicts on a Christian. And to the original Christians who were reading this letter from St. Peter for the first time, the unbelieving world around them was stacking a lot of really heavy crosses onto their backs. They were living in a culture that disliked Christians and Christianity, spread rumors about them, everything from treason to infanticide to cannibalism, turned them into the authorities, scapegoated Christians for crimes that they did not commit. So they were surrounded by people who were hostile to Christians. And not only that, they had somebody over them who was really hostile to Christians too. They were ruled by an emperor named Nero. In addition to being a certified wackadoo, Nero was nasty. He was cruel and mean to a lot of different people, but one of his favorite targets was Christians because like a lot of bullies, Nero liked to pick on people who didn't fight back a whole lot. So during certain times in his reign, he would round up Christians and let his sadism just take over, throw them into pits of feral dogs, dip them in pitch, use them as human street lamps, all sorts of good creative stuff that he did to Christians. And Peter writes to this group of Christians and says, do not be surprised that these things are happening to you. You are surrounded by unbelievers, by God's enemies, and think about how they treated God's Son. If that's what they did to the Son of God, why do you think they would treat you any differently? That's why he writes, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. And that advice from, from St. Peter stretches across two millennia to this group of Christians listening to these words today. Do not be surprised when trials, when crosses come into your life. Whether it's a cross from the unbelieving world or the cross of illness, pain, or wherever else the cross may come from, don't be surprised. And yet, and yet, very often Christians do act pretty surprised when suffering comes into their lives. We seem to have this notion that being a Christian, being a follower of Christ, means we should not have to suffer the way Jesus did. We have this way sometimes of turning Jesus into a rabbit's foot, turning his cross into a good luck charm that keeps suffering away from us. And we figure if we, if we follow God, he should respond by making our lives easy, making us popular and successful. And then, when the crosses do come, when suffering does enter our lives, we act surprised as if we had no warning that this was going to happen or as if God is doing something unfair to us. Besides acting surprised when the cross has come, which we should not, sometimes we're just flat out afraid to pick up our crosses and follow Jesus. See, I know how people treated my Savior I don't want to be treated the same way. Of course, nobody wants to be insulted, persecuted for their faith. So I just figure, well, if I hide my association with Christ, especially when I'm around certain groups of people who I know won't take kindly to it, then they won't treat me the way they treated him. 
We act surprised. We try to wiggle out from underneath crosses. It is so easy to forget, to ignore Jesus' words. Take up your cross and follow me. We thank God with all of our hearts that our Savior Jesus did not treat his cross that way. We thank God that our Savior Jesus understood the necessity of his cross and that Jesus stayed squarely underneath his cross despite all of the pain that was pressing down on him. He stayed right underneath that cross until he was finally nailed to it and died on it. And he did it because he loves us. He did it to forgive our sins and make us right with God. God the Father used the brutal cross of his Son for the good purpose of saving us from our sins. Remembering the cross of Jesus, how he used it and why he used it that way to lovingly forgive our sins, that is what gives Jesus' followers the strength to pick up crosses of their own and walk bravely behind their Savior. And those crosses are going to come. Now, are we ever going to be covered in tar and used as human street lamps? I can only speak for myself when I say I hope not. But consider how our culture's view of Christianity has shifted just over the last 50 or 60 years. Christianity has gone from being the expected thing the societal norm to being considered out of date, out of touch, and by a lot of people, even harmful to human beings. All of that has happened in just three generations, and it's, it's led to a culture that is more than ready to ridicule and give a hard time to people who worship someone who was crucified on the other side of the world 2,000 years ago. It's going to get worse. We need to brace ourselves we need to not act surprised when the crosses come, and we better be brave to pick them up and carry them. And the only thing that's going to make us brave is following our Savior as tightly as we possibly can, keeping his cross as close to our eyes as we can, remembering how he used it and why, out of love for us to make us his forever. Now, understanding that crosses will come, and we must carry them. In these verses, St. Peter gives us all kinds of extra wonderful encouragement to do that. He writes, Rejoice whenever you are sharing in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. How ridiculous does it sound at first to hear someone say, Rejoice when you suffer. But in Christ, that is exactly what we do. Because at the end of Jesus' cross, at the end of his suffering, there was glory waiting for the Son of God. There was the glory of his resurrection on Easter, the glory of his ascension, the glory that he enjoys now at the Father's right hand, glory when he returns on the last day. We are in that cross of Christ. So whatever we suffer in this world, whatever trials we have to go through, there is glory waiting for us at the end of them in eternity with God's Son in his kingdom. Peter says, rejoice when the crosses come and thank God. If you suffer for being a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God in connection with that name. See, the crosses 
that we carry in this world, they have their limits, they have their end point. But the benefit of being a Christian, the benefit of bearing the name of Christ has no limit and no end point. It means your sins are unloaded on Christ's cross. Your life is eternally renewed in Jesus' empty tomb. And you have a place by his side in his kingdom. There is no room for shame or grousing or complaining in those truths. There is only room for praise and thanksgiving to God. Peter also says this. If you do have to suffer a cross, especially a cross that comes from the unbelieving world, one way to look at it is that it's actually a good sign. It means that the people around you in the world can see that there is something different about you, that you don't live your life like everybody else. Now, they would never identify it as the Spirit of God resting on you, but that's actually what it is. St. Peter says they can see the Spirit of glory and of God on you. You know, looking at it from that perspective, then, a cross is a good thing. It verifies that you are following the cross-bearer, Jesus Christ. Finally, there is one last important thing to remember in this whole matter. Peter teaches us here. And that is that vengeance belongs to God and not to us. Because it can be awfully tempting if someone insults you or something for being a Christian, it can be awfully tempting to strike back. Look for something to insult in them, some way to abuse them. I think of a time when I was in Little League, my brother and I were on the same team. We had this teammate named Kenneth. And when Kenneth found out that my brother and I attended a Lutheran school, this kid had a field day with us, and he did not let up. He would do things like he'd pace around the on-deck circle, saying the Lord's Prayer, mockingly asking God for help with his next at bat. Now, is this the worst cross that any Christian ever had to suffer? Of course not. But we were insulted for the name of Christ. It qualifies as a cross, right? My brother's response to this was, when Kenneth came up for batting practice, he beamed him in the spine with the hardest fastball that he could possibly throw. Now at the time, my sinful nature was just delighted to see see Kenneth just crumple to the ground in pain. And even now, when I look back on it, it's hard for me not to smile. But I'm telling that story because it's wrong. That's the kind of thing thing you don't want to do. Uh, In the first place, It just makes people who dislike Christians dislike us even more. Secondly, it gives them grounds, fairly, I think, to call us hypocrites. And third, it's just a wrong representation of what Christ and Christianity is all about. Remember, when Jesus was dying on his cross, he called out to the Father for forgiveness for the people who had nailed him to that cross. If anybody causes us to suffer for following Christ, we ask God for forgiveness. And of course, we don't want anyone to perish apart from faith in Jesus and forgiveness, and neither does God. But for people who cause God's people to suffer and don't repent in the end, Peter asks a couple of pretty ominous-sounding questions in these verses. If If the judgment of God begins with us, what will be the end for those who disobey the gospel of God? God can handle his own vengeance, his judgment, We don't have to do it now. Let him do it in his time and in his way. Instead, when crosses come, we remember our Savior said that they would come. We praise God 
and thank him for those crosses because we know at the end of them comes glory, just as it did for our Savior. And in the meantime, God is using those crosses to turn us back to the cross of Jesus Christ. We find the strength and the bravery to pick up those crosses and follow our Savior in his cross where he forgives our sins. As Peter says, we entrust our souls to their faithful creator while doing what is good. Amen.